Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights, conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. Today I'm joined by Ulf Jonsson, a Portfolio Strategy Manager of Cloud and NFEI at Ericsson. Welcome. Thank you very much. So let's just get started with a uh, a description of your job at Ericsson and how that fits in with Ericsson's broader uh, focus on transforming networks. Yeah, sure. So, as you said, my name is Ulf Jonsson. I'm working for Ericsson in the headquarter in, uh, in Sweden, where I'm responsible for the NFE infrastructure portfolio strategy and, the, and also the business strategy for NFVI. Now, Ericsson has been on this program a number of times, and you guys have made incredible progress in terms of delivering NFVI solutions to the marketplace. And, and um, very foot-forward NFEI solutions to the marketplace. Why don't you just tell me where we are in your perspective with that transformation and how that's um, affected by the on uh, um, upcoming 5G? Yeah, so I think everything right now is focused around being getting prepared and ready for the 5G era. Uh, as you know, the virtualization started for quite some years ago now in the telco telecom space. And I think uh, there are many operators now who moved to uh, shared NFE infrastructure where they run multiple telco applications on this. But uh, they're all typically VM-based today. So they run on virtual machines, typically on kind of an open stack type of infrastructure. But in the five-year era, all the we're really moving into that the 5G applications will be cloud native. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that uh, uh, basically the 5G applications will be containerized. Right. They will be built using a kind of microservices uh, software architecture. So in that era, it's important now that we have a data center infrastructure, software-defined infrastructure, who can help in the evolution from kind of VM-based to more Kubernetes-based and cloud uh, or container-as-a-service platform-ready infrastructure. Uh, and that's really a lot of the focus we have right now in, in Ericsson. So when you think about containerized data centers, why is this so critical? I would assume it's um, it's ease of transport, but what is, why is it so critical to make the move to cloud native for 5G in particular? Yes, so I think there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, one is the need to be able to uh, actually have uh, kind of a distributed infrastructure. Now with the 5G uh, uh, applications, what we want to be able to do is to be able to set up something that we call network slices. Mm -hmm. And with that basically set up different network slices that has the characteristics that you need for different type of consumers, different type of enterprises, different industries, different uh, type of end user applications. So this means that we need to be even more uh, efficient in be able to kind of place the applications where you know, it's optimal location and in a, a much more flexible way than we ever seen uh, before. So for instance, if you have a latency demand in applications or uh, you might need to um, distribute them far out in the network, have mm -hmm. them centralized. And, and I think with uh, this whole microservices architecture, you get that flexibility to be able to do that. Uh, 
but but uh, that said, I think this journey will take a long time also. So mm -hmm. so if you talk 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 from a uh, kind of data center infrastructure or software defined infrastructure point of view, we will see that for many years still uh, a lot of applications will be uh, VM based. Mm -hmm. So w we will need to handle this. Uh, basically, the infrastructure need to cater for a mix of both VM-based and kind of containerized applications. And uh, the key then is how do you do this in, in, in as uh, efficient way as possible. And here, I think this software-defined infrastructure that Ericsson brings, uh, actually in collaboration with uh, Intel on leveraging rack scale design and, and Redfish APIs, and so it's really key to enable that uh, infrastructure. When you think about that transition period, um, what are the critical things Im embedded in Redfish that allow for that uh, heterogeneous environment? Yeah, so for, for me, it's uh, really about uh, the flexibility to kind of manage your hardware assets, the compute, your network and storage uh, resource in a much more flexible way. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you have now a lot of applications running on VMs. You can set up something in software then. So you have a fully programmable hardware pool that you can then set up something that we call VPODs, virtualized uh, performance optimized data centers. So you could set up one of those for your kind of open stack and VM based environment. Mm -hmm. And then you can set up an in software using the same, leveraging the same hardware infrastructure and, uh, you have and that to also set up another VPod then for your kind of containerized uh, platform running on bare metal. And as you kind of over the years will start to be more and more cloud native, you can still leverage that uh, infrastructure investment mm -hmm. you've done uh, during this transition. And I think this is kind of where actually uh, Rackscale design really and uh, uh, fit a very important purpose. When you look at the um, evolution that you're talking about, obviously data centers have been working on deploying um, containerized uh, solutions for a few years. Is there something unique about network workloads and the hardening of what's required for communications that takes this even further? Yes. So this is also one of the key reasons why we believe strongly in the, this VPOD concept. And that's because... Typically, if you take uh, telco applications, uh, they, uh, especially if you take those that are uh, payload incentive or throughput in, uh, incentive uh, intensive, that's like the packet gateway and so, then you need to set up your hardware resource and infra resource for high throughput, maybe SREV, you will not allow any overcommit of the resources, uh, you need to set up it for high availability and so. So, and, and also it's very important also from a security point of view. Basically, you can't let, uh, for instance, other... Now, if you build an infrastructure that actually can run also different type of end-user applications on that kind of cloud infrastructure, you don't want those to compromise in security sure. with your kind of core uh, uh, telco applications. So the VPOT concept also allows that with a kind of a separation of of uh, of the infrastructure all the down to the hardware level but still really being able to leverage a common your common hardware pool of resources but you'd have unique provisioning and and prioritization for those correct, correct. yeah 
That's fantastic. Now, you mentioned Rackscale Design. Um, Ericsson has been delivering Rackscale Design-based solutions for a couple of years now. What has the response been in the market with Rackscale Design, and what are your customers um, thinking about the increased flexibility of the pods? I mean, in general, I think everyone is uh, excited about the Rackscale Design mm-hmm. and, the, and the principle it will give. Uh, I think we're still quite early on the journey to mm-hmm. kind of fully leverage the potential rack skill design. But uh, I mean, it's clear uh, all, all operators we meet, they really see the strong benefits uh, that the rack skill design provides, being able to kind of make sure that we have a fully programmable software defined infrastructure. You say that it's early for a rack scale design. Is that because of the relative? Um, youth of the software infrastructure managing uh, Rackscale, or is it just um, a revolutionary concept to customers that will take some time to get used to? I think it's a little bit of both, to be mm-hmm. honest. It's quite a new concept, and, and I think uh, customers need to learn what it means. Then, uh, that said, I think it's also, I mean, to have a very intelligent kind of infrastructure management software, it, mm-hmm. it is... Uh, it's quite a complex software mm-hmm. and and i think uh, what we will see is that the uh, yeah i think we're still very f- fairly early on that journey to have that truly ca- uh, be able to deliver on the promise of software defined infrastructure and rack skill design uh, with a full automation of your infrastructure mm-hmm. and a kind of closed loop assurance uh, and 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 which which I think and, and also connecting that kind of analytics and so and and we're not fully there yet, but that's uh, what we're working working on. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because we've seen time and again in the history of technology that major trans transformations like five G offers an opportunity to try new things. Mm. And I'm curious to see if customer your customers um, will take a look at some of these. Um, more uh, foot-forward designs, if you will, uh, as they look at the the infrastructure build-out for 5G? Yeah, so so I think, I mean, um, I think, so we have, uh, you know, Ericsson's solution is what we call the Ericsson System Verified NFI uh, solution, which is actually leveraging rack scale design and, and software-defined infrastructure uh, as a mm-hmm. core foundation for that. And, and I think... Uh, I think uh, everyone, I, I've not heard anyone who, who actually has any uh, t- talking, any, I mean, everyone, I think, understand why this is needed as mm-hmm. you move into 5G, yeah. definitely on the operator side. Fantastic. Now, we're at the SDN NFE uh, World Congress in The Hague. Um, what are you hearing here that's intriguing in terms of the industry's move to 5G and where do you think the operators are in terms of their perspectives on that topic? Yes, I actually asked the question in my session, for instance, and, and I, I mean, how, how many feel that they are ready with their kind of data center infrastructure and cloud infrastructure for, for 5G? And actually, no one raised their hand. So, so I think <laughs> I think for me this is a kind of a, tells me that it's a, we we really have a lot to do here to ensure that they're really getting ready because 5G is just around the corner right you know, exactly uh, next year they, we will start to see the real deployments and <laughs> and i think uh, we, we, we better as an industry get ready ready now sounds like a, there's a lot of work to be done um 
Ulf, I'm sure that uh, folks who are listening online want to learn more about how to work with Ericsson on this. Yeah. Where would you send them for more information um, to learn about your products and engage with the Ericsson sales team? Yeah. So we, of course, uh, we have our site, uh, ericsson.com. So that's where you can find all information. In that, uh, I would especially go into the area around uh, NFEI, so Network Function Presentation Infrastructure, that you can find all the information about everything we do in this area. Thank you for being on the program today. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, Netherlands. And I'm joined by Axel Klauberg, Vice President, IP End-to-End -End and Infrastructure Cloud at Deutsche Telekom. Welcome, Axel. Thanks. So, Axel, why don't we just uh, start with an introduction of uh, your scope of focus at Deutsche Telekom and how that relates to the topic of the day. Well, <clears throat> within Deutsche Telekom's strategy and technology innovation team, I'm on one side responsible for the IP end-to-end -end, uh, infrastructure, on the other side uh, for our infrastructure cloud architecture. Mm -hmm. So, um, actually, um, at this event here six years ago, uh, we were uh, presenting for the first time at a large audience uh, what we are doing. Uh, that also l kind of uh, helped kicking off the Etsy NFV mm -hmm. uh, at that time. So um, it's very much related to what's discussed here at uh, SDN and NFV. Uh, today, my uh, activity in the Intel Network Builders uh, event was uh, with my kind of night job. Uh, that's <laughs> the uh, I'm the chairman of the board of the Telecom Infra project. Uh, we had founded. Um, back in uh, March 2016, together with uh, Intel, Nokia, SK Telecom, and Facebook. Now, you just mentioned two really important standards bodies, and, and why don't we just start with why are standards so critical for the transformation of the network, and why has Deutsche Telekom invested in this area? Without standards, we wouldn't have the global communication we're all used to. So I think the, the importance of standards uh, for this industry, it's it's not questioned at all. The, the, the challenge I see is, uh, despite all the value the traditional standardization uh, process has brought, and here 3GPP, uh, just to mention one example, um, we have to ask ourselves, how are we actually operating in this new uh, cloud software-dominated world uh, and here we see that other organizations are becoming important. Organizations, for example, developing open source like Linux Foundation or especially here the Linux Foundation Networking Fund, uh, for example, driving the development of ONAP, but also uh, a couple of other uh, adjacent activities. And uh, there are <coughs> new organizations which are kind of applying the open source mindset as well uh, to the uh, hardware world. So the Open Compute Project is one example, or the Telecom Infra Project taking that thought and extending it to the overall uh, telecom infrastructure. And 
these organizations on one side are helping us to be more agile and sometimes work in a slightly different way than we were used to in traditional standardization. So typically in a um, agile open source world or what we are doing within TIP, uh, we are working classical agile way. So we are designing a minimal viable product once you have uh, agreed on a use case to get started with, but then go uh, in an iterative uh, development from there and not spend an extended period of time first discussing use cases and then negotiating what could be in a standard. That's a slightly different way of working what, uh, what's happening in the open source world or with other open organizations like TIP. You announced TIP, I believe, at, at Mobile World Congress uh, earlier this year. And, you know, it, it really reads as a who's who of, of industry leaders from across the comm space as well as the cloud space. You've got some interesting partners there. Um, why this group of vendors uh, working together and, and wh what does it, what should we take from the fact that it's not just um, the comms infrastructure providers, but we've also got Facebook and others involved. Yeah, so uh, TIP was announced back at the Mobile World Congress 2016, so uh, almost three years ago. And um, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is the pace of innovation in this ecosystem we are living in from the telco perspective, is that actually fast enough? Or do we need to accelerate innovation? And I think uh, when we look at the exponential traffic growth, uh, and I don't see any end uh, to the tra traffic growth, when we look at uh, Moore's law flattening out, so uh, developments on the hardware side itself won't help us uh, that much anymore as they did in the past to keep our production cost under control. And unfortunately for traditional services, ARPU, uh, well, if we're lucky, flat or uh, in many markets actually shrinking, that's not a good combination. So I think we need to accelerate the pace of innovation. Now, the classical ecosystem for various reasons is not delivering the pace we actually need. Mm -hmm. So the idea we, we have with these organizations bringing established vendors, bringing startups, bringing systems integrators, bringing internet companies and the telcos together to work collaboratively on a new approach, uh, not only building technology but also rolling out technology uh, and producing at scale. Uh, I think that is uh, indeed something interesting and the indicators we're seeing so far is that it's actually working out. Where do you see TIP going in the next couple of years? When do you know you've achieved some important milestones towards the goals that you set out? So when you start a new organization, obviously you're trying to focus on a couple of areas where you show that the principles are actually working. So uh, we identified uh, four areas within the Telecom Infra project. One was the Open RAN, one was the VRAN Frontal, the Millimeter Wave and Open Cellular we took as kind of wave one technologies and um, through early trials starting in labs for example the tip community labs around the globe then going into customer trials and then uh, finally uh, uh, going into the procurement phase and and uh, then hopefully after 2020 you're going to see large-scale rollout so we're at the interesting phase right now that we are entering the procurement phase for these technologies. So, for example, uh, Vodafone and Telefonica had uh, issued uh, joint RFI on open RAN technologies. That is a project group which is co-chaired 
between Intel and um, Vodafone mm -hmm. uh, within TIP. And uh, so that is an interesting move. Uh, you're going to see similar things happening in other areas as well. Let's take the very successful millimeter wave work. Um, that group within TIP is shared between Facebook and Deutsche Telekom. Uh, we have built a very successful uh, trial in Hungary with our colleagues at Magia Telekom and uh, preparing for a second trial now. And, well, the logical next step is also bring that into procurement. And here it's actually a great proof that uh, you're not only seeing some uh, ODMs uh, just producing some boxes, but you also see the uh, OEMs uh, moving into that space as well. And uh, I think that's a great proof that the market is actually uh, developing and that it's it's possible to change the way we're working. Mm -hmm. Now, we started with these four wave one technologies, but now the interesting challenge is how to, how to broaden this sure. and uh, how to do the same in other areas. When you look at the... Um requirements uh, for communications networks over the next few years and the you know the basically insatiable demand for more um, delivery of data and um, without a lot of additional cost what are the what are the things that you want to see tip expand to address or you know are there areas where you think that the industry should use the same types of approaches as tip even if the work doesn't happen within TIP? Yeah, so when we look at, for example, the automation challenge uh, the industry has, uh, that actually allows uh, many organizations to focus uh, on various topics around uh, automation. For example, the Linux Foundation Networking Fund is driving ONAP, but uh, you, you have to uh, ask yourself as well, uh, what else do you need just beside ONAP uh, when you look at uh, the traditional OSS, uh, BSS space? I think that that is something uh, we have to look at uh, from an industry perspective as well. So next week uh, in London, we're going to have uh, our annual TIP Summit. Mm -hmm. And we're trying out uh, the messages with uh, birds of a feather sessions, uh, which need which new technologies actually find enough interest to form project groups. And uh, I'm really looking forward uh, to those interactive discussions we're going to have. And uh, I would expect indeed uh, that we see uh, a broader approach. Uh, but here, definitely the partnership between TIP, the Open Compute Project, Linux Foundation, and other organizations like Oran, for me, is critical for success. Because we as telcos have only a very limited set of resources. And um, the same is true for the vendors participating in there and definitely for startups as well. So if we would spread ourselves too thin and if there would be duplication of effort, we would have messed up. So I think it's an important task actually to make sure that we don't have overlaps in this, uh, sure. in this work. Now, you mentioned that you gave a presentation here at SDN NFE World Congress at the Intel Network Builders event. Um, when y you speak to the industry, um, what is the response to TIP and what has been the uptake of industry engagement in this space? Uh, so far, uh, we have way more than 500 members within TIP, so there is a lot of interest. Uh, I think... When we look back into 2016, a lot of 
companies have just joined to get some more information what is Facebook actually doing in the telco space. Mm -hmm. But over time, we saw more and more uh, people becoming active, companies becoming active and um, also going into sharing mode. So you see, you see a, a typical development in these uh, open organizations. First, you see a lot of uh, people just visiting and listening and then over time more and more people become active in such an organization mm -hmm. and for me that is uh, the, the critical uh, part we have uh, as mentioned more than 500 companies now we don't have 500 active companies in tip but i would like to uh, be better on that side to pull more active contributions in from uh, the various players in the industry well, my final question for you then is if folks are listening online and they've been interested in what you've been talking about, they want to learn more about TIP and getting involved, where would you send them for more information? The telecominfraproject.com uh, website uh, should give you all the information. Uh, if you're still uh, able to join us next week in London at the Excel Convention Center on October 16th and 17th, we're going to run the TIP Summit, and that should be a great event. I hope it goes well for you, Axel. Always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for being on Chip Chat. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague. And I'm with Paul Gronsund, Senior Research Scientist at Telnor ASA. Welcome. Thank you so much. So why don't you just go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do at Telnor. Yeah, so in, in Telnor I work in the, the research department uh, where we have been working uh, quite a lot on uh, NFE and SDN the last uh, four or five years. Um, then uh, around beginning a lot around the NFE infrastructure uh, and uh, introducing virtual network functions into mm -hmm. the network, a lot of uh, POCs testing uh, before moving into to commercial. Um, then lately also I'm working a lot in the space of uh, 5G and network slicing, which is, uh, as I also tried to put out in, in the, the keynote I gave at the Intel uh, Network Builders event, uh, Virtualization is kind of a prerequisite to achieve many of the goals and visions set out by 5G uh, and also automation. So, uh, and also around service assurance, an area where we are working uh, a lot. Um, and also into mo now moving into actual testing and uh, experimentation of uh, 5G uh, infrastructure uh, based on virtualization uh, with 5G radios, the 5G core. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, the orchestration solutions in order to achieve the the, the 5G services and all the vertical industries uh, expected and those that we are working with in that space. This morning you talked about um, the progress that the industry has made in terms of driving automated orchestration of network functions. Um, tell me about where we are today and where we need to go um to ready for 5g mm -hmm. yeah so i think um around orchestration uh we do believe a lot in in open source mm -hmm. uh in orchestration space uh around the etsy nfv uh, mano stack where we are working a lot in uh, open source mano 
And one of the reasons is um, if you are to achieve the goals with uh, reduced time to market uh, automation, uh, we need to have interoperability. And uh, if there are a lot of different uh, solutions out there, uh, and all the VNFs and network services need to kind of relate to all the different orchestration solutions, it will be, be hard to achieve that um, uh, agility and speed time to market. So uh, we believe open source is, is very important to have a reference implementation of uh, an orchestration system so that we can more easily uh, deploy new services and make them work Mm-hmm. Uh, across different uh, networks. I know that you're involved in the Open Source Mano um, initiative in Etsy. That has been around for a couple of years. Tell me about what's the focus today within that group and what are you most excited about for next year? Yeah, so um, a lot of focus is on uh, one thing that we have been um, uh, working a lot on is on the information models and data models uh, to make them uh, proper and, and usable and also aligning with Etsy and FBISG mm-hmm. on that. Uh, there we have come a quite quite long way, also providing feedback into Etsy and working very tightly with Etsy and FBISG. Um, I think also some of the new things coming into OSM, which we are uh, really excited about, is uh, also around network slicing, how you can do the management of network slices. Uh, and implementing them the more the three GPP functions uh, defined for network slice management uh, and so forth. That's one area. Uh, the other one is um, enhancements to the monitoring so that you can actually use the monitoring uh, information in OSM to achieve this automation and uh, closed uh, closed loop feedback. Uh, uh, also integrating with other service assurance systems. Uh, and thirdly also the support for containers things that we are working on. So uh, those are, I think, three very important domains, also Mm -hmm. enabling us to be ready for 5G, Uh, but not to forget all the other important things that we are working on to make it even better uh, and relating to Etsy and FEISG. Why is network slicing such a compelling technology with 5G, and what does that mean from a network automation standpoint? Yeah, so I think uh, absolutely... uh, First and foremost, to get program programmability into the network is important because if you want to automate something, you need to be able to do control it in software. And that's why having virtualization um, with a programmable uh, infrastructure, both when it comes to the compute, storage, and networking, uh, so that you can change it on the fly mm-hmm. or instantiate, scale it, and these type of automation functions is very important. Um, so, so from that point of view, NFE is very important. And also, when you start gathering all the data from this more dynamic network uh, into more analytics uh, modules that can give feedback into the network and decisions on how to change it uh, on the fly in a way to optimize it, uh, you also need this uh, virtualized infrastructure. So. In principle, it's it's hard to achieve those goals uh, if you don't uh, if you don't virtualize. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's also why I also stated in the the, the keynote today that um, uh, virtualization is 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 more or less a prerequisite for five G, uh, at least if you want to realize the vision of five G. Uh, and also when you look into the KPIs of five G, things like service deployment time in ninety minutes is very hard to achieve without virtualization. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and also the latency, if you want to do edge computing, uh, you also would like to have edge sites 
based on virtualization. Um, so that you can put dif different type of applications and network functions out in the edge and have the flexibility to to change that uh, when needed so that you don't put in many edge sites you put fixed boxes uh, as, as we are used to do because then you lose a lot of the flexibility so um, yeah and uh, there are also other 5G KPIs that depend a lot on virtualization so I think one of them is also uh, an achieving the high availability. If mm -hmm. you want to have different high availability for different uh, network services, you would like to configure that in software so that you can give high availability if five nines is needed for some services, but maybe not for the others. You can set that automatically for the network service. And that is, of course, also an expensive thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. And all might not be wanting to, to do that. You talked about... Um the progress uh, that open source Mano has made in terms of orchestrating the network, new capabilities that, that you're bringing into um, the open source stacks. You also talked about the edge. A lot of these technologies have roots in data center environments, which are much more um, centralized, obviously. Is there any different challenges that you need to address when you're considering a distributed environment? from edge to cloud? I think, of course, we need the orchestration to, to work uh, across edge and, uh, and central sites so that you mm -hmm. can have flexibility into configuring the network services across them. Um, so that is one of the challenges. Uh, the other thing, I think, is around how you actually build the central sites versus the edge. And one of the things is that uh, the edge uh, will be much smaller than the central sites. Mm -hmm. And the central sites, we... I mean, a lot around the security, uh, how how you build a lot of security zones with fiscal firewalls for the highest level protection, uh, and a lot of the infrastructure services that you need to have in place for the, for the central sites. And if you are to transfer that directly into the edge, then uh, it will be difficult to have the edge uh, very kind of in a, in a smaller number of a couple of compute nodes. So the security challenges, I think, is one of the biggest challenges around the uh, edge uh, that we need to tackle. Um, and it also will depend on what type of services we run there. Um, having said that, I think um, having an orchestration layer that we build in open source mono um, that supports multi-vim or multi multiple uh, sites, basically, uh, so that you can use the information to construct the network services in the optimized way is, is very important. Many... Um Providers are announcing 5G trials this year, and uh, many folks are saying that we should expect early deployments of 5G next year. Where is the um, software capability in terms of readiness for those early deployments, and what are the things that you think that the uh, open source community needs to work on now to get ready? That's a good point. So I think um, it, it's fully possible to do a 5G uh, test without uh, all end-to-end uh, -end orchestration. It, if you run uh, uh, testing of the radio network, fixed wireless access, and these these type of use cases, which are extremely exciting. But I think uh, in order to, like the vision of 5G with network slicing, to create multiple logical networks on this one physical infrastructure, uh, to achieve that, you need to have the orchestration in, in place. Um, mm -hmm. So if you want to run multiple simultaneous uh, use cases for different vertical industries, 
And then you need to be able to isolate the networks. Uh, you need to drive that from the orchestration. And you also need to automate uh, a lot of the things going on in the network. Uh, and when it comes to that, I'm not sure if everything is ready. And that's also why I said that these are uh, some of the important things we focus on in, in open source Mono, uh, on the network slicing feature, uh, especially. And also to get this monitoring framework uh, even better. It's mm -hmm. there today, but to make that uh, information available uh, so that you can optimize uh, properly. And last but not least, also the containers, which I said is, is something we work on in OSM, uh, which also will be important for the edge if you want to have um, smaller uh, microservices function running in, in the edge and uh, becoming more cloud native. So uh, these are things that uh, we believe needs to be in place for a, a fully fully 5G ready system. But uh, it, it's if it's not there, it doesn't stop testing of, mm -hmm. of uh, 5G use cases. But I think if you want to go into to uh, full operation with uh, with systems that are um, delivering on the f full vision of 5G, there there's more work needed on that par part. And it's also important to remember that it's not that long time since uh, 3GPP uh, released the first standard, right. uh, which was um, addressing some of the 5G aspects, but there's a lot of things coming later in, in the next uh, release 16 as well, uh, which uh, needs to be taken into account for the different slice types uh, so so um, but i think indeed the, the the trials and the work on testing going on is very important to to understand that even better so um, but yeah orchestration is, is a challenge that needs to be solved paul it's been a pleasure having you on the show today i've learned a lot um one final question for you if folks want to engage in the osm project where should they find out more information? And if they want to find out more about the research at Telnor, where would you send them? Yeah, so I think uh, we have a web page on OSM with a lot of information um, where you can go into the wiki and read a lot about how to start using it uh, and all, all the different things going on in OSM. And uh, it's open to, to anyone to participate there. So uh, please get in touch with uh, me or any of the others in, in OSM. Uh, you can also sign up on the web to mm -hmm. get in contact with us there. So that's fully open, and I encourage you all to, to, to have a look and uh, be engaged in OSM. Uh, for Telnor Research, we also have a web page, uh, but also contact me if you have any <laughs> questions. So, uh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Marcus Freeman, Head of Engineering at NetRounds. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So NetRounds has been on the program before, but why don't you just start and introduce yourself, what uh, the, your scope of focus is as Head of Engineering, and uh, a bit about NetRounds business. Yeah, Net NetRounds is a software company. We provide an automated active testing and monitoring solution. And the keyword here is automation, um, mm -hmm. uh, which means that uh, we complement traditional assurance solutions, which are more infrastructure centric. 
uh, provide more of the end-to-end -end perspective and the kind of customer perspective of um, when it comes to assuring services. You you said an interesting word in that description, which is assurance. Tell me about traditional assurance within a networking context and, and what it delivers and um, some of the challenges that it faces as we move to net uh, virtualized networks. Yeah, traditional assurance, it's often around performance management and fault management solutions. Uh, performance management solutions are typically polling the network, making sure that the network is healthy, healthy. Um, checking the CPUs, uh, CPU load, the uh, interface counters of devices and, and making sure that the servers are running. Uh, so it's an important solution, of course. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 it has some challenges when it comes to understanding how the service works from a customer perspective. Um, and fault management solutions is a solution that is collecting events and traps from the devices. And all again, it's typically infrastructure centric. Now, NetRounds has taken a different approach. Tell me about the way you've really re-architected what assurance means to a network? Well, I, I would say like this, um, the this kind of solution we provide, so an active testing and monitoring solution isn't a new thing. There are other companies uh, in this area, of course. It's, um, it's uh, something you need as a service provider in order to make sure that the services are working. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's nothing new. Um, wh what is new is to making this work in a more dynamic environment and a more software-based environment. And that's where uh, Netrons has been innovating and kind of targeting the more automated and software-based networks for several years now and, and providing a really good solution for those kind of uh, scenarios. What is the challenge um, in driving assurance within a software-based network environment compared to the traditional approach? Well, it's, it's to make sure that the assurance and the assurance and the active testing and monitoring in this case where Netrons is uh, contributing is part of the automation loops. So making sure that the, the right tests are being ran and uh, they are being ran at the right location and, and at the right layer uh, of the network stack as way. well uh, to make sure that it, it works. I could assume that if that was not done correctly, data would be very unreliable. Yes, I, I mean the problem is if I if I may start from um, the enterprise side of this. Uh, so the the enterprise customers they have a quite complex environment, uh, and if we're not talking about service provider delivering services to these customers, uh, they they have um, branch offices where they have multiple and many users mm -hmm. uh, that are working. Uh, they have uh, their laptops and computers which might have issues. Uh, they have the LAN network, which is perhaps Wi-Fi networks. And then you have the connection, the VPN connection, which connects to the maybe the headquarters to other offices uh, where they run their servers and their applications. And when uh, a customer has an issue or when a user complains about an issue, it's really hard for the enterprise customer to understand what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, the, the IT department of the enterprise customer uh, to understand what the problem is. Uh, and first of all, it, it takes quite a long time until they will complain to start with. Because imagine yourself, you're sitting at your, your office, you're working and you have lags. Uh, I mean, it's perhaps not, not the first thing you do is that you complain the first time you have this problem. It goes right. quite far before uh, you will complain. Uh, 
Uh, and then when uh, you actually complain and call, call the service provider support, uh, it's, it's kind of hard for them to understand and really see if this is an issue in many cases. In some cases, they have detected it through their performance management solutions. Uh, but in many cases, again, when it comes to the end-to-end -end service, it's hard for to have this insight mm -hmm. into how it's actually working. And, and this brings a, a number of problems for both ends, I would say. Uh, first of all, that um, in terms of when you have a lagging and not working environment, you, you lose productivity. So that's kind of the enterprise side of this. Um, and from, from the service provider, of course, it takes quite a long time to prove your innocence as well, because when a customer has a problem, it might not be the network, it might not be the VPN connection in this case that is the problem, uh, but it's hard to prove. So that, that's uh, a, a problem in itself to kind of this mean time to innocent for the service provider. Um, and uh, in many cases, this comes to the fact that the customer will be the one, the enterprise customer will be, be the one that detects this issue and has to struggle in order to have it fixed. What is the importance of analytics within the solution and how are you using advanced analytics um, to help your customers um, drive better insight about what's going on in their network? There are many, many possibilities uh, around analytics uh, where we can provide benefits to our customers and areas such as prediction, predictive analytics, correlation between different layers, for example, and if they have a problem on one layer, how does it affect the other layers? Or and um, anomaly detection to quickly highlight if there is an issue for the, uh, I mean, changes in the behavior of the network uh, that might be due to some reason. Uh, but maybe more importantly is that this type of data that we provide, which is more the end-to-end -end, uh, type of data, more from the customer perspe perspective, is going to be really important for the service provider in order to make their analytics solution work well. Because if you're doing constant changes in your network uh, and you're only making sure that the infrastructure is working uh, and not making sure that you have, you know, the, the data flow uh, from the customer perspective is working, it will be hard. But if you have this more end-to-end -end data as well, uh, as part of your analytics, you can, you can do much more learning uh, based on the infrastructure-centric data as well. So I, I think it will be re really valuable uh, going forward. When you look at um, the network traffic that you're measuring, it's changing. It's getting much more varied um, from voice, video, um, different types of data. Um, also, a tremendous amount of uh, requirements from a security standpoint. Uh, and, um, you know, you've talked about the central offices, but just, you know, the, the evolution of the central offices that is going on right now in terms of um, where um, data is being held, where um, services are being delivered out towards the edge. What does this mean from a standpoint of service assurance, and does this make your challenge more complex? I would I would say that we have we have a lot of uh, we have a lot to contribute uh, when it comes to these questions because uh, when it comes to where you're going to deploy your workload and where you're going to place these services uh, it's typically very late latency sensitive perhaps it might be um, 
other network characteristics that are very important for that service. And being able to measure how it works from different locations in the network uh, end to end through the data path and understand how the network is behaving. Uh, the type of data that we provide can make it um, useful in order to understand if you need to move a workload from a central data center, for example, out to an, uh, an edge. What has the response been um, as you've moved to deploy your software with different customers in terms of the new capabilities that you're bringing? And where is your focus moving forward in terms of um, enhancing NetRound software? Uh, it's been very, very positive. And I, I think what I can see is that um, in terms of assurance and the discussions around assurance that the active part is becoming uh, more important. Mm -hmm. So for, for us, it's, um, it's very important that we uh, are able to provide this capability from many different locations. So depending on what the network looks like, uh, that we can deploy our test agent and make it possible to make good use of them. Uh, and also, um, I mean, multi-layer capabilities. Mm -hmm. So it's typically not only the network that a service provider would like to make sure uh, it works. It, it might be other services, uh, value-added services that are also provided as part of this service and being able to uh, support uh, the providers to verify that those services are uh, delivered correctly mm -hmm. uh, as well. Marcus, it was a really uh, interesting conversation. Um, I've, I've heard uh, about NetRound solutions before, but it seems like you continue to make progress in delivery of capabilities uh, for network providers. I'm sure folks are interested in learning more about the company. Where would you send them for more information? Um, the natural thing would be to go to our website, uh, netrons.com. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague. And I'm very happy to be joined by Sebastian Grabsky, uh, Principal Solutions Architect at Cloudify. Welcome, Sebastian. Welcome, Oisin. So, Sebastian, um, it's a big day uh, at the start of SDN NFE World Congress, and I know that you're speaking at the event. Um, why don't you just start with an introduction of your role at Cloudify and how that fits into the broader themes of the Congress today? <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, at Cloudify, I'm actually uh, down in the trenches with customers. That's mm -hmm. my that's my primary role. Um, I'm working with as a consultant for NFV projects and for the network automation. Uh, and also I have an architect role when I'm helping a design a solution. So actually my responsibility is mixed. I'm uh, um, half an architect and half a solution consultant. Now Cloudify has um, long been a player in this space, but you guys introduced um, some enhancements to the solution that you're offering to the market. Um, fairly recently. Can you tell me about Cloudify Solution and how it fits in within 
and operators move to NFE or virtual network functions? Yes, that's a that's a good one. So as you as you mentioned, Cloudify has been around for a while on the market, and our origins were in the um, cloudification of the applications. This this is actually where we started a while back. Uh, our focus was around the moving an application to the cloud. What happened actually is when NMV started to be uh, really high on the agenda with some customers, it happened that our solution fits really well into the NFV. And if we look up at the uh, Mano architecture, we have a couple of components there, right? And what are of our interest is the VNFM and NFVO. These are the areas where we play really well because we do an orchestration and the VNFM function is nothing more than a proper orchestration of the VNF function on top of the infrastructure. And another function is the NFVO, which is an orchestrator on top of the VNFM. So it's another layer of orchestration of the services, which really falls squarely into our area. So we started uh, promoting ourselves in the area of NFV, I think uh, roughly two years ago. And we have a very good uptake. We have a very uh, nice uh, customer wins and a number of engagements. Besides that, we also do uh, uh, a lot of a network automation and orchestration. So we play a, an important role in something which is called intent-based networking because our orchestrator is a driven by declarative language. So we can uh, orchestrate a network in the declarative way Therefore, we fall really nicely into the intent-based networking, which complements perfectly the NFV solutions. So this is what we do roughly. So let's talk about that. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, one thing that I've picked up on quite a bit just in the first day at the Congress is a focus on operators desiring to automate network functions. Absolutely. And, and this is you know top of mind. You talk about your unique capabilities around declarative automation. Tell me about that. <laughs> yes. Um, there is no NFV without automation. And uh, why is that? Because when we were dealing with the, with the physical elements, PNFs, right? We call them PNFs, physical network functions. Our traditional approach to the networking and the network functions. We were actually installing and configuring physical elements. So let's take a famous firewall, for instance, right? So we were racking and stacking a firewall in a rack. We had a number of uh, checkpoints down the road to configure the firewall, right? So mm -hmm. we have to rack it and we have to wire it up. We have to configure it. So we have a number of places when we can check if we are doing something right or wrong. When we talk about the NFV, we talk about the virtual functions. So with a single push of the button, we can spin up not one firewall, but we can spin up hundreds of firewalls. Mm -hmm. Imagine the scale and an impact it has on the infrastructure and the operation. Therefore, if you don't automate that process, then you are doing something really wrong, right? So automation and orchestration is a fundamental function for the success of uh, NFV. What does this require when you start adding complexity of heterogeneous environments or multiple provider networks? Oh, very good question. Very, it's not only uh, a providers, but I think a different sorts of infrastructure. and the, Because 
every network is heterogeneous by nature. I didn't see in my lifetime a fully homogeneous network. There's such thing doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to address a multi-vendor and uh, uh, multi-technology environments. And I think that the aspect which is very important is whether a platform that you are offering is open, right? Our platform is open and open source. Mm -hmm. It means different things, right? What it means the platform is open? It means that platform is easily customizable and extendable to address the needs of the customer, like connectors, like plugins, like different functions, right? Mm -hmm. So openness is the key to be to be successful in that area, right? So and and this is actually what carriers are looking for. They are a little bit afraid of uh, vendor lock-in. Sure. And they are looking for uh, ways to secure themselves and I call it uh, drive their own destiny, right? Mm -hmm. So so therefore more and more they are considering an open and open source platforms which is a new new trend uh, in uh, the way I see it because I'm on the market for uh, quite some time and I've seen uh, different waves of uh, of uh, technologies on the market but this adoption of open source in the telco space is very new sure is very new and uh, requires a lot of courage from the <laughs> carriers and uh, a little bit different approach to this product it requires of building a special practice inside the carrier environments and we see it happening we are talking to a carriers who has a lot of courage, right, to start those projects, right, and uh, we have a significant progress in the on that on that space, and this is what I will be talking on the on the keynote session about how to be successful and what is actually a a necessary to be successful with the NFV projects, right? Now, you, now you said that you know you're working as a consultant with many of these operators in in the deployment of um, automation solutions when you look at what's out there from various providers what is the state of uh, the industry software to make that interoperability and automation across a heterogeneous environment a reality oh yes a uh, <clears throat> standards are good right uh, that's why you have so many of them and uh, that's uh, that's a reality and uh, and sometimes we have to apply a pragmatic approach because on the one hand, we want to be fully compliant with the standard because we want this pluggability, we want to be secure that if something fails, we're going to plug in something else. Of course, right? On the mm -hmm. other hand, we have a, a business problem to address. And sometimes a standards are falling short in order to address our business need. Therefore, we have to strike the right balance, right? So we stay compliant where we are and as much as we can. However, if we need to meet a business objective, we need the courage and we need to find the ways to, to address it. That's why I see that a successful project in the NIV space is actually the good blend of staying compliant and being pragmatic, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure... Our Listeners online are interested in the solutions that you're talking about. 
What do you think is unique about what Cloudify is delivering to the market, and how is that um, derived from your work around application virtualization? Okay. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we have a very good record of application automation, and and this is these are actually the roots and origins of the uh, success of Cloudify. Mm, Cloudify was a while back a um, a visionary in terms of embracing a Tosca standard. Mm -hmm. Tosca is a way to describe an application in a declarative way. It's a very complete language uh, on that sense and very handy and very, very flexible in the, in the application modeling. Because we had this head start on the market with the Tosca, we gained a lot of experience uh, on that front, and right now we see a more and more adoption in the NFV space of a Tosca. It's a very, it's a very good language. It's uh, it's proven to be very flexible, and is addressing not only applications but as well. It's a fantastic fit for the networking aspects because Tosca is based on the nodes and the relationships, and the network is actually the set of nodes and the connections or the mm -hmm. relationships. So it's a fantastic way to describe a networking. So I think that what Cloudify brings and where is our uniqueness, we bring an application expertise and orchestration applications and the cloud native applications. And this is where NFV is going. For the time being, not everything is a cloud native are currently at the NFV space. And telcos are not really welcome to rip and replace and put the new things on the on the they want to just reuse and to orchestrate what is existing and it, this is actually the bridge that Cloudify brings. So we are able to support the cloud native and we are able to support traditional. So it's like a bridge from today to the future of the NFV space. Now I know that you've had great success in the market uh, with your solution. Can you tell me? about um, any examples of the types of customers that you're working with to deploy Cloudify, and then tell me a little bit about how you work with them in the, and, excuse me, the VNF Lab. The VNF Lab. Um, VNF Lab was a need to start uh, actually demonstrating that uh, NFV and the VNF management is real. Um, we had a lot of, after actually the, the World Congress last year, we got a lot of inquiries from different vendors, right, um, for generic VNFM, generic VNFM manager, right? So, and because there is a number of vendors on the market who has a VNF function, either virtual router or virtual firewall or virtual load balancer or all sorts of virtual functions. However, they are missing this... Uh, function which is managing them from the mano perspective which is a vnfm and we started uh, those conversations with those vendors and uh, it, it happened that we need a lab for that we need a lab we need a proving grounds for them to start testing and validating and uh, whether uh, our solution is fitting really their needs. And it was a really nice vehicle, not only for enabling a vendors, but also for uh, enabling a customers of those vendors, showing them that, look, this is, a, this is a solution, this is your VNF, these are the functions, and this is how you can manage uh, this function through the open, open 
open source based orchestration engine. So this is uh, this is uh, with regard to labs. To your first point, um, customers who I'm working with, I'm mostly working with telcos and um, variety actually of telcos from the small ones right uh, up to the incumbents uh, uh, in the western europe so i think that nav is really picking up from what i can see on the market fantastic now i know that you guys are also a member of the intel network builders program tell me about why that's a value for cloudify um intel is all over the place so uh, wherever we go actually we see your uh, your platform and our solution is actually enabling your platform because uh, you are gearing the most of the NFVIs that we see on the market, right? And having a Cloudify providing this VNFM function and uh, NFVO on top of the VNFMs is helping build a more comprehensive solutions. And I think that's a synergy between an Intel and orchestration provider, which is actually allowing to consume more, right? Because the NFVI without an orchestration is uh, is half full, right? Yeah. So, and we <laughs> want it to be completely full, right? Therefore, this is our role in the, in the ecosystem. And to add on top of that, uh, we see a more and more interest from customers and from the market about the edge. And this is where uh, we're gonna see even more consumption of the of the platforms and the, the need for an orchestration because orchestration is moving away from the central location up to the edges and this is a very different scale of orchestration very interesting one sebastian it's been a pleasure to have you on one final question for you uh where can folks go to find out more about cloudify and engage with your team uh, you can find us out on the website cloudify.co you can find a lot uh, information there. I'm advising you to look up the blogs. We are uh, very active on that front. We are publishing a lot. So uh, see you uh, on the internet. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you very much. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm very delighted to have back in the studio with us Manish Singh, VP of Network Services Strategy and Marketing at Tech Mahindra. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to ChipChat. So why don't we just start with an introduction of your role at Tech Mahindra and what that means about the themes that are being discussed at the conference this week. Great, so um, I'm part of the network services business unit within Tech Mahindra, and our focus is really to accelerate the network transformation for our customers, primarily uh, the communication service providers globally. And uh, to do that, what we're very much focused on is to bring the systems integration capabilities in a multi-vendor ecosystem uh, across the board, if you look from an SDN NFE perspective, from NFVI, from the infrastructure layer, so working with uh, with uh, a vibrant ecosystem, Intel is a very strategic partner for us, but also uh, working on the hardware layer with different partners, with Wimlayer uh, on infrastructure management solutions, 
uh, and then layer on top of that uh, multiple VNF vendors that we are working in. Uh, and then last but not the least, the management and orchestration sitting on top of it. Our goal is to offer best of breed solutions to communication service providers to really bring the economies of cloud into their networks. And, and that's where we are focused on. Now, that obviously begins with the transformation of the network uh, to NFE. And that was the topic, actually, that we discussed uh, last year. We talked about where the industry was with this and, and how Tech Mahindra was engaging. A year has passed. Where are we today? Oh, we, we are making significant progress. I think uh, where we were almost a year back was the lot of discussions still were the the why, what are the, what's the business economics around here. The discussion has very much moved to not how to, how mm -hmm. we do it. And not only just the discussion, but the actual project. So uh, I, I'm really excited in the fact that we are engaged with a number of service providers across uh, different geographies in Americas, Europe, and Asia Pacific, uh, and really doing the real meaningful projects of actually either building telco clouds for mm -hmm. them, onboarding virtual network functions, realizing services end-to-end. -end. So to, to really sum it up, uh, I think it's really no more why and how to, but here and now, let's do it. Now, one topic that has been um, bubbling up is something that is a, a big focus for the industry is the virtualization of the RAM. Tell me about that. Oh, so uh, so as you know, a lot of the virtualization started in the core of the network. Mm -hmm. So virtualizing the mobile packet core, virtualizing IMS, both fixed and mobile IMS. Uh, and that's where a lot of the, f the work started. But if you look at the service providers, the biggest CapEx spend, and I mean from a network standpoint, happens for the on their radio access network. Sure. So... We as Tech Mahindra are very focused on bringing the economies of SDN and NFE and bring it to where the biggest spend is, which is the radio access network, in particular on virtualizing the radio access network. So two things worth mentioning. Uh, we, you know, again, as a systems integrator, we work with disruptors and innovators in the ecosystem. And Tech Mahindra is... Uh, uh, engaged in a very strategic partnership with LTO Star, one of the disruptors in the space. Mm -hmm. uh, and we are also working very closely with Intel mm -hmm. uh, on actually looking at some of the technologies around virtualization of the radio access network. And all of this, along with LTO Star, is geared to bring virtualized RAN solutions and get them implemented in real networks for our communication service providers and bring those economies of SDN and NFA into the radio access network. Now, just last month, Tech Mahindra and Intel announced a new COE project in this space. Tell me about that. Oh, so uh, uh, glad to share that uh, actually Tech Mahindra and Intel jointly announced uh, setting up 5G Center of Excellences. We actually are setting up two, uh, one in Seattle in, uh, in North America, another one in Bangalore in India. A and the charter of the COE is to collaborate with Intel to bring in uh, some of the, as I said, some of the uh, technologies on 5G across RAN, across core, uh, and within COE for the Tech Mahindra, the big focus is to realize end-to-end -end use cases. Sure. First, 
within the network layer. So things like new constructs like network slicing, uh, we are actually realizing them uh, for enhanced mobile broadband, massive IoT use cases, ultra-reliable low-latency use cases, so we're doing that. Uh, but then also CO is going to focus on different enterprise verticals, verticals like healthcare, uh, verticals like manufacturing, and actually develop use cases for those verticals leveraging the 5G network. Now this is interesting because lots of talk is going on around the network edge and what types of workloads are going to move to the network edge. It sounds like you guys are identifying some by different uh, market vertical. Yes, uh, so edge is going to play a very key role. That's how we see it at Tech Mahindra and for two reasons. Uh, if you look at the broad bucket of applications that need to be enabled, I classify them into two categories. Uh, category one, which is applications that need ultra low latency. So we talk about solving the problem for sub 10 millisecond latency. And that only way you solve that is by bringing the network and the application closer to the end device. So that's one. And two, then there are these very high bandwidth, heavy applications that generate a lot of data. And then do you really need to send all the data up into the cloud or can you process a lot of the data and do the analytics on the edge, including leveraging AI machine learning capabilities? So among those two broad bucket of applications is where we see the role of edge becoming very critical. And that's where we are focusing on, on developing some of those capabilities on the edge platform and applications on top of it. When you look at the types of applications in this space, where do you see the early movers in terms of those applications that are going to blaze the trail with uh, initial deployments? Yeah, I think I, I, I think that's a great question. So first of all, if you look at uh, some of the verticals like manufacturing uh, mm -hmm. and healthcare, two in particular, I would pick. Uh, these are there, there are specific applications like in case of manufacturing, uh, manufacturing robotic automation, which requires precision robotics with very very low latency requirements. Uh, and those kind of applications can only be enabled if with edge computing and tackling that low latency. So that's one set of bucket. On the other side, if I uh, when I look at these uh, applications, uh, aerospace and airline industry comes to mind. Uh, sure. In particular, when you see an aircraft landing at uh, at an airport and generating a petabyte of data from all the IoT sensors. Uh, do we really need to send all that petabyte of data up into the cloud? Or can we do the analytics right on the edge and deliver the decisions that need to be actioned on the ground? So uh, these are some of the early applications that are clearly coming into focus. Now, you earlier mentioned that this also connects with 5G. Everyone's talking about 5G. It's the next big thing. How does it relate to this conversation? Uh, great. So 5G brings a whole host of new capabilities. And to uh, sum it up in four words, I'd say 5G is all about dynamically sliced, differentially priced. And in there lies a lot of things. Uh, but basically, the network itself brings new capabilities around network slicing. So uh, you can create different logical networks, which are really optimized from a topology resource capability perspective to meet the end application requirements. That's on the technical side. But differentially priced and brings the business side of it is really putting the right levers in place for the service providers to monetize the network with different applications 
four different verticals and delivering the network that is truly optimal for those verticals. So, uh, you know, just to uh, just to make this even more real, I I'd really share with you that uh, very recently, along with some of our partners, uh, we showcased a complete end-to-end -end virtualized solution uh, with LTO Star on virtualized RAN with Cisco on their packet core, and really leveraging some of the new network paradigms like control user plane separation, edge compute, virtualized RAN, and showing you know how you can disaggregate the network, optimize it for latency, optimize it for connection density, and more. So I think this is becoming more, more, uh, more here and now, but the but the real capability uh, or the value lies in that differentially uh, priced, dynamically sliced. It's interesting as you described it. What came into my mind is agile technology delivers an agile business opportunity. And and, and now your network truly becomes agile and an enabler for all that agile delivery. So, big question is, you know, you've got a lot of tech technology, um, COEs, trials with customers, all sorts of things going on. When you come to an event like this and you're talking to comm service providers, talking to members of the industry who are making this technology, what is your key focus in terms of where the industry needs to deliver new technology capability and where we need to invest more with customers on trial deployments, POCs, and actual um, broad scale deployments of technology in 2019. Yeah, I think the big focus for us is to really uh, realize the vision that a lot of the communication service providers have is to bring those economies of cloud to their network, realize best of breed solutions. And reason I say best of breed, I think it's a given in the world of cloud. There also we started with best of suite, but in the world of cloud, best of breed has won. Uh, in the world of communication service provider, in particular on networks, that still is in flight. And so, especially from a Tech Mahindra perspective, our focus is how do we work with innovators and disruptors uh, to really uh, create the right solution blueprint for the service providers so that they can absorb these best of breed solutions, absorb these economies of cloud into their network. And that's what our big focus here uh, for the next two days at uh, as the Every World Congress is as well, to work, meet these innovators and disruptors and then you know, identify the solutions where we bring these in and take them to the service providers. One final question for you. If folks want to find out more about what Tech Mahindra is doing in this space, where can they go for more information? So uh, uh, clearly, first and foremost, our website on uh, techmahindra.com, in particular on network services microsite. Uh, there's a lot of information available. We have also very recently published a series of 5G papers on 5G as innovation platform, uh, dynamically sliced, differentially priced, and, and more. Uh, so sharing our point of view with our customers and uh, with our partners on how we see uh, where the network transformation needs to lead to. Thank you so much for your time today, Manish. It's been a real pleasure. We'd love to have you back again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Nathan Rader, Director of NFE Strategy at Canonical. Welcome, Nathan. Oh, thank you. So, Nathan, why don't you just describe um, Canonical's role in 
the networking arena and what you're bringing to, uh, to the table in terms of orchestration and service automation. Sure, sure, thanks. So uh, the, the main space that Canonical plays in the, in the kind of the, the telco arena is, is bringing infrastructure software. So that's, our, that's kind of our specialty with Ubuntu, our, you know, our, our operating system. Um, in general, for most telcos, we bring the, the VIM, the virtual infrastructure layer, um, particularly built on OpenStack in our case. Mm -hmm. um, and we also have been spending a lot of time lately with, with telcos around Kubernetes and looking into sort of getting their infrastructure ready for cloud-native applications, which are generally kind of agreed to be running on top of a, a Kubernetes or a Docker-style environment. Now, um, you guys have been playing here for a while, and... The Ubuntu um, software has been um, well adopted by providers. Tell me about where we're at in terms of the phase of that adoption and what you're seeing providers um, looking for. You know, you mentioned cloud native application support. What are they looking for in terms of new capabilities for orchestration? Well, I, I think a lot of them are looking to, to get some orchestration to start with. I mean, right now, I think there's sort of... Um, in the industry sort of um, some disappointment with what NFE was going to deliver. Um, a lot of that has to do with the transformation of the service providers themselves and how they, they transfer their organization. But, but a lot of it has to do with their adoption, I think, of, of an orchestration platform. Um, along that lines, you know, they, they've done a lot of work in the past on running everything very manually. And now to try to move into the, the automation side of things is a, is a big change. Um, and, and part of that is, is doing orchestration, but part of that is also learning how to script and code and things like that, that a lot of the kind of old telco kind of ways of working didn't include. Uh, so Canonical has been, been spending a lot of time. Um, a lot of our focus on orchestration has been around Etsy's OSM and the open source Mano project. We've been putting a lot of, of effort into that to, uh, to enable operators to to be able to kind of make this a much easier change for them than, than it should be. Now, I know that Canonical has, um, you know, wide range across data centers and networks. Um, one of the things um, that I know is that you guys have been part of the Network Builders program for quite a long time. Tell me about why that's important in terms of engaging with other ecosystem partners. Sure. So... One of the, the big things for us in the network builder ecosystem is, is particularly your, your NFVI select solutions where you have worked with us or we have worked with you <laughs> to develop a kind of a, a reference hardware bill of materials. And so one of the big things that Canonical has found kind of over the last several years of working with, with telcos is that they want something that's just easy to deploy. Um, and they don't want to have to make a lot of complicated decisions that they don't really understand. And so one of those is, is choosing hardware to, to run their applications on and combination with the software. So the work that we've done with you on the, the Intel Select kind of solution partnership for NFEI really creates a, a very easy way for, for the telcos to consume um, a cloud and the cloud software by making kind of a predefined bill of materials that they can just go to their favorite hardware vendor and say, I'd like this shopping list, please. It can be delivered, and, and they know it's going to be performant when it comes. You know, Canonical Ubuntu was one of the first three select solutions that we launched from a data center perspective. Um, 
just shows how important this type of configuration is right now in terms of driving the adoption of NFE. Um, so thank you for the collaboration on that. Um, you know, you, you talked about the need for an orchestration platform and some of the frustrations that providers have had in terms of the move to uh, virtual networks. Tell me about where you think we are in terms of um, their comfort with automation and uh, their comfort even considering things like cloud native applications and containers um, when we are just moving now um, to OpenStack based solutions. I, I think the comfort level is 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 not as comfortable as everyone would like. Um, that that is a lot of the challenge, you know. I mean, if you if you look at operators in general, we we typically see in the industry two mindsets of operators. One that they want something prepackaged, prebuilt, just like they've bought in the past. It can be dropped in front of them with very little effort. Um, the the other type of operator and the one that we particularly like to to work with are the ones that have sort of recognized that in order for this transformation to really be successful and, and to really provide a lot of the value that they've been looking for around automation and things, uh, th they've kind of gone to a sort of a best of breed solution. So taking and choosing the best hardware and the best um, OpenStack software, the best networking SDNs and things, and then the best automation tooling and actually getting their hands dirty and and getting involved in that. Um, that being said, a, a lot of the operators do find that challenging. It's a, it's a very different way of working. And, and we find that, that the operators that we've worked with that have been the most successful are the ones that really start off and get the infrastructure in place without automation first, maybe a single VNF or a single use case on top that they can operate very similarly to they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. That really gets them very comfortable with the virtualization aspect of things. And then when they start moving into orchestration, it's, it's a little more comfortable because they've gotten a little more used to the kind of the, the new IT ways of working than they have in the past. And then they can start applying that on top of an orchestrator and saying, well, I had this running for the last you know period of time. I was manually doing this. Why don't I now take and use this automation tooling that I have and automate that so I don't have to keep rebooting whatever process they had and things like that. So the, the operators that have taken that approach seem to be the most successful than the ones who I'm going to take it all now, try to put it all together and, and make it work in one go seems to be the ones that are having a lot of problems getting just bogged down in too much work. It's funny that you say that when, when you were telling that. It reminded me that you're describing a decade of evolution in a data center um, and the attempt to make two major technology transitions at once. So it does make a lot of sense that, you know, a phased approach um, would probably be more successful. But, you know, one question that I have for you is that while customers make this journey and start, you know, step by step moving towards an automated um, virtualized solution, what do the what's the industry need to do to continue to push the um, solutions capabilities forward? And what are you focused on at Canonical in terms of adding new capabilities um, to the uh, service automation platform? 
a lot of the operators, what we're seeing is they're they're trying to move into this cloud native transformation, and a lot of them are are going to Kubernetes, and and Canonical's doing a lot of work on on Kubernetes and and working with with the the VNF vendors to to start getting into Kubernetes microservices based architecture and having discussions there. The the second piece we're really fo focusing on and, and where we think there's a lot of value is having a a kind of a a common set of network descriptors. And I know that that's been talked about quite a bit lately with the OSM community, and we feel that that's a good place to really collaborate on ensuring as part of OSM that we have a, a very common set of, of service and network descriptors so that, that they can be onboarded without uh, a lot of hassle. Nathan, it's been fantastic talking to you today. I only have one more question for you. I know that we've been talking about your Ubuntu platform. Where can folks go to get more information about it and engage with the Canonical team um, in terms of either a trial deployment, a POC, or an actual deployment of uh, Ubuntu? Sure, sure, absolutely. So the, the best place to go would be to our Canonical website, canonical.com, or to look at some of our product offerings on ubuntu.com. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It's thank a real you. pleasure. Yep, thank you very much.